Welcome to Hogan Lovell's newest podcast, Digital Assets and Blockchain, The Influencers. We're bringing you interviews with some of the most interesting and thoughtful voices, creating change in the digital asset space and highlighting the trends and issues you should have on your radar screen. Hello, everybody. I'm Leo von Gerlach, a digital technology partner in our German offices. And with me today is Dr. Jochen Biedermann. Jochen is Managing Director of World Alliance of International Financial Centers, also known as WAIFC. And he's also a CEO of Blockchain Asia Limited. And in addition, he is counselor to many institutions and organizations, such as the German Sino Center of Finance and others. Jochen, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Just Tell us a little bit about the World Alliance you are so active in. With pleasure. First of all, the World Alliance is a non-profit association. It's registered in Belgium, currently comprising 28 international financial centers across five continents. So our members, uh, they are government agencies or public-private partnerships developing and promoting their financial centers, their national financial centers. And our membership range from the top financial centers globally to also aspiring centers in Asia, South America or Africa, for instance. What we do while financial centers of obviously are in competition, we organize a collaboration between those financial centers or the other side. Uh, by running projects together and exchanging best practices. And this is most important, jointly we promote the vital role of financial centers in financing the economy. So if you think about financial centers, these are physical industry clusters. And of course, they have a crucial role in financing the economy. If you look at our members, they represent roughly a total nominal GDP of 40 trillion US dollars in their countries. 4,000 banks, 20,000 fintech companies, these are startups in the financial sector, and 60,000 investment firms. And of course, in the last two years, a lot of work was related to the global pandemic, but also we're working on topics like inclusive finance, supply chain finance, and financing the circular economy. And also we look at uh, new trends like, uh, for instance, the metaverse in finance, which our members love to discuss. Um, important pillar of our work, besides that kind of thought leadership, is work with the leading academics and universities in creating a vision for financial centers of the futures. For instance, we have the so-called World Alliance Young Academic Award competition, where we invite young academics to submit papers on the future of sustainable and inclusive financial sectors. This year, we received something like 50 applications from 26 countries. And then our international jury selected four winners who just recently presented their research at our annual general meeting in Casablanca. By the way, we will do again next year. We will send out the call for paper in February next year. And if you are a young researcher under 35, please apply. Wow, that sounds really impressive. Um, Let's take a deep dive into what you're actually looking at at the moment. I understand you just issued a white paper on the future of international financial centers. Perhaps you tell us a little bit about that work, perhaps with a specific focus on the 
innovative digital side of their developments? Um, this paper, uh, we, I have to give credit uh, first to one of our members, the Dubai International Financial Center and also Set Yen Group in, in London. We did it jointly with them. We published it in June. And uh, this white paper looked at uh, following things. First, we analyzed the impact of financial centers on the local economy. So I've mentioned already the, the cluster the uh, physical cluster of the financial industry. It fosters innovation. This is one of the outcomes. But of course, financial centers also create new jobs, new investments, more tax revenues for their governments, and ultimately also higher GDP growth. But also financial centers, their activity, they contribute to a higher, higher quality business environment for all businesses and even to urban development, right? Look at all the high rises in the, in the financial centers, whether you like it or not. And I, I also uh, mentioned this already, there's an interesting mixture, mixture of cooperation and competition between financial centers. We, we also analyze in that white paper. And all in all, financial centers, they serve society's needs. Mm -hmm. um, but the main result of that white paper is a vision for 2030. So we thought, how should financial centers look like in 2030? And uh, it's quite obvious, financial centers will be green, smarter, innovative, more customer focused, digital, of course, mm -hmm. and inclusive. And they play a critical role for the financial sector in attracting and retaining the best talent. Mm -hmm. And obviously, they should also offer an excellent quality of life, right? So this is becoming more and more important. People also want to enjoy living in the financial centers. Um, all our members uh, agree on this continuous collaboration and knowledge sharing, which is most important. And uh, yeah, last but not least, that white paper, um, and we, we discussed it briefly uh, before this conversation, also look a little bit at the different types of financial centers and provide the historic background, because some financial centers have a history of 500, 600 years. Um, so yeah, I, you can download it freely on our website. I hope you will enjoy reading. Wow. Um it's really a pity that we don't have the opportunity to look into all these areas. I mean, they sound really exciting. Let's just single out one, um, innovation and regulation and the interface. Um, is there anything you brought um, to light in terms of how they influence one another? What role regulation play? Is it a hurdle? Is it a hindrance? Is it promotional? Um, yeah, your thoughts on that one? Let me start with Germany. Uh, I'm a German citizen and uh, by coincidence, I have most experience in Germany, but I will come to other market as well a little bit later. So I had the pleasure to observe the regulatory developments in, in Germany and also internationally over the last 25 years. First, in my first years with a strong focus on capital market because I was a stock exchange official until 2013. But also in 2015, I run a project here for the local financial center of Frankfurt on building up its fintech ecosystem. At that time, it was co uh, called Dialog Forum, so Forum for Dialogue, Frankfurt Rhein Main, and it was a comprehensive undertaking. We had something like 13 working groups on various topics. And in the regulation working group, uh, project members, this includes major law firms like Hogan Lovells, but also uh, the German regulatory authority BaFin and lawmakers and so on. So they got prepared 
Bafin and also uh, Berlin, uh, Minister of Finance and so on for the fintechs. And over time, they have built up a solid framework. But that initial exchange was was very important. And I remember uh, once, I hope you allow me that uh, comment, I was sitting together with some of the leading, lawyer, leading lawyers here in Frankfurt and I was counting their hourly rate and thought, oh, this is a very expensive meeting, right? But again, this was, was really necessary. Um, back to your question, I think the challenge, of course, is to find a good balance between customer protection and openness for innovation. Right? So, And in Germany here, we had many debates, for instance, whether it's necessary to have a regulatory sandbox. Um, BaFin, the German regulator, said no uh, already very early, and they haven't changed their, 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 their mind on this. Other regulatory authorities internationally have, have different solutions. Look at the FCA in the UK, for instance. But uh, back to Germany, we also had major setbacks uh, when, you, when you look at that balance. I, uh, let's remind us uh, to the demise of Wirecard, which is mm -hmm. currently on, on court. The court proceeding, I think, starts soon. Once Wirecard was a poster boy of the German financial technology, even it kicked out Commerzbank, the second largest German bank out of the blue chip index uh, at that time with something like uh, 20, 25 billion US dollar market cap, if I remember correctly. And of course, there was a broad public outcry on Wirecard, you know, the, the scandal and also the role of the, of the regulator and the prosecutor's office in Munich. So, this is a little bit about Germany, so showing, you know, how tricky this, this balance can be. Um, personally, I also supported other financial centers, for instance, as an advisory board member, and I regularly discussed uh, new legislation drafts, as I said, on regular descent works and, and, and digital assets also. Um, I'm also a board member of some fintech companies. So not being a lawyer, I've le learned a lot on all those issues those years. And if people ask me, and this regularly happens in emerging markets when they want to build up their fintech ecosystem, so um, usually those markets, they need still need high growth, right? So, and my first advice is always not to throw out the baby with a bathwater. So, because I've witnessed in some emerging markets, they hire the top regulators uh, from, from developed markets, and then usually those regulators are pledged for top-notch reg regulation, uh, the highest possible standards. But this is often no, not enough fertile ground for, for innovation to grow, whether it's on the fintech side or on the banking side. So if you always move the lawn when the grass is barely visible, so there's no opportunity for wonderful new plants to, to grow, right? So um, let's look at another example, which from my point of view um, has done pretty well in that, uh, in that sense, which is mainland China. So they had these laissez-faire regulations initially. Think about players like Ant uh, Financial or Tencent. But uh, later, they ha had a quite tough stance on, on them, but only after they gained a critical mass, which is probably a, a good way in emerging markets to deal with it. Of course, there's no one-size-fits-all. Well, that's quite insightful. And I understand it's not easy for the regulator to find their way. And I think they learn while they go and they clearly make mistakes. So perhaps we shift to another question from the 
national side to look at the financial market other than regulation and that's their currency and the sovereignty they have about their own money. CBDC is now a very, very hot topic. Um, central bank digital money, it's something you have also looked into. Perhaps you tell us your relationship to CBDCs and we take it from there. Um, my, my first and uh, point in time where I really uh, had thoughts on that topic um, this is coming from my, my time at a stock exchange official, uh, because if you're a little bit familiar with how stock exchange operate, usually they have this at the end, this uh, central securities depository, which basically it exchanges the paper, stocks or bonds against mm -hmm. money. And uh, if you look into the technical details of that transition, it's always quite complicated because we don't have that money in an uh, immediate form, right? So, you know, there's a, a bank or brokerage house uh, doing some transaction and then it has to be settled. And then usually there's, you know, this technical call, let me call it a call to the central bank, checking whether they have enough money on their account, blocking that money, uh, exchanging the, the legal ownership in the in the paper, in the stocks or bonds, and then calling the central bank again, you know, to really transferring that money. This is a highly complicated process, right? So with a lot of failures can happen, not enough money, or, you know, uh, some, some papers is blocked, or maybe the money I have to pay now will be transferred to me a little bit later in the settlement cycle, a lot of issues. If we have money in an immediate form, which which immediately can transact, you know, a lot of these processes will be much easier. So this I learned working for a stock exchange. So the IT people would call it um, Atoma transaction. So where you can exchange ownership in securities against money, right? In one computer transaction. This is a dream of um, of the IT people. Um, so uh, if you want to have something like this then you're at uh, digital money, at central bank digital currencies, but more on a wholesale side. And I'll come to this a little bit later. So, uh, but also on the retail side would be great to have money decentralized with the same features as physical cash because we're losing, we're using less and less cash, right? So Germany is still a little bit on the, more on the, on the, on the cash side, but even here, I think the majority of the transaction are cashless already, but some of our European neighboring countries, whether you go to Sweden or Norway or to the Netherlands, they are almost cashless, right? Nobody is touching cash anymore. Right. So and then you only have the commercial money and you're lacking that central bank money, uh, which can be easily used. So uh, from that point of view, I would advocate having uh, a central bank digital currencies with similar features like physical cash, um, maintaining privacy. But of course, this uh, we need to understand that we need to have some compromises because on the other hand we also have uh, anti-money laundering regulation or regulation against terrorist financing and also 
here in Europe, the wish of the European central banks or central banks in general to minimize disruptions in, in the existing banking system. So from that point of view, um, this is something I think will be will be necessary in the next years. And I did some research uh, on the digital yuan, the digital renminbi. Uh, this is a Chinese prototype because it, the Chinese the People's Bank of China is most advanced in that race uh, to a digital currency. And uh, they're uh, testing this since April 2020. And it's now widely used in China with hundreds of million users and millions of businesses um, connected. This, however, is a retail CDBC. So, and it uses a two-tier multi-scheme structure where, you know, this banking relationship is maintained. So, two-tier means um, the first tier, con uh, this connects the central bank with the banks, but also some telecom operators and large-scale payment networks. Mm -hmm. And then only those operators, including the banks, they offer the digital yuan to their retail clients in the second mm -hmm. tier. So, um, and yeah, my first conclusion is uh, in China, the digital yuan is uh, quite successful by most metrics. Well, that raises the inevitable question, what will happen to Europe? I mean, we have a very ambitious project um, also underway by the European Central Bank. They want to implement a digital euro, so pilot schemes are about to run. What's your take on where we stand and how successful this may be? Um, I'm quite positive. The digital euro seems to be on, on, the, on the right track. Um, but let me jump uh, back to uh, the digital yuan and just mention their project of the People's Bank of China started in 2014, just to make this clear. Now we have 2022, eight years. And during those eight years, they have carefully designed it, implemented, prototyped it. Pilot is running now for, for, for two and a half years. So it will still take some time. And we don't even have a political decision, right? So, uh, but what I've observed is, um, so all players are much more positive to this. Um, the other thing um, we need to uh, look at is, of course, in the Eurozone, implementing a digital euro will be a greater challenge than uh, implementing a digital yuan in China, because, you know, we have this great diversity of payment infrastructure and the underlying legal technology and cross-border frameworks and also different cultures. Jochen, wow, that's a lot of stuff. I would really love to speak with you again once the Digital Euro project and some of the other CBDC projects are um, somewhat further down the line. So I hope to see you again. All right. I think we need to draw this to a close. Thanks, everybody, for listening in and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. See you soon. Visit hoganlevels.com forward slash blockchain for more podcasts and other resources or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.